thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Ladies, welcome back to another episode of Wellness Women Radio. So I am your host, Dr. Andrea Huddleston, and my beautiful, esteemed co-host, Dr. Ashley Bond, is absent today um, with Ollie. So it'll just be me and our amazing guest today, which is, you know, in in showbiz, the the show must go on. Um, And today was certainly an interview that we didn't want to miss um, at all. So before I introduce you to our guest today, ladies, don't forget to follow us on social media. Uh, so facebook.com forward slash the wellness women. We are at the wellness women official on Instagram. I am drandrea.xo on Instagram and the period whisperer on Facebook. And Dr. Ashley is Dr. Ashley Bond on everything, which is super nice and easy. Now, our guest today um, is a woman who really doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway. So with us today is uh, the amazing Cindy O'Meara, who has been a great friend to the show. I think this is the second, is this the second or third time that we've had you on, Cindy? It's definitely, yeah, I thought so. Um, (laughs) Internationally acclaimed nutritionist, the founder of the Whole Foods Company, Changing Habits, the author of Changing Habits, Changing Lives, which is such an amazing staple book that has been around for such a long time, um, but the information is completely timeless. So if you haven't read that yet, ladies, this is my little plug for that. Um, she's also the documentary creator of What's With Wheat and is an absolute authority on whole foods. So Cindy is really well researched, um, which helps her to challenge the claims that are affecting health globally. She encourages an educated approach towards nourishment through real foods from trusted sustainable sources. 
um, and continuing her desire um, for, a com for community well-being, Cindy has developed an online education course through the Nutrition Academy, um, the Changing Habits Farm and their online store Changing Habits which provides organic, chemical-free and ethically sourced whole foods and household products. Um, and I can tell you right now that uh, their online store is absolutely amazing. So, Cindy, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back and joining us. Uh, thanks, Andrea, and thanks for that beautiful introduction. Uh, sometimes I go, wow, have I done all of that? But then again, I, I've been going a while, so I should have achieved something. <laughs> oh, Cindy, I was trying to think, how long has Changing Habits, Changing Lives been around for? I was 1998. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I um, self-published it in 98. So I wrote it in 1991. Nobody wanted it. And in 95, I pulled it out of the archives and simplified it and then published it myself because I thought, well, nobody wanted it before. Why would they want it now? Um, and what was really interesting is in 1998, it went to bestseller and, you know, I was the self-publisher. And then I had uh, publishers asking if I wanted to join them. And I did end up joining Penguin because it made my distribution so much easier. Yeah, that's amazing. I knew it was 20 years. I thought it's got to have been around for at least that amount of time, but it has stood the test of time as well, which I think um, is so true for so much of your information um, as well, Cindy, which I love. And before we get into the real thick of what we're going to discuss today, um, I want to get a bit of an update from you. Like, what have you been up to lately? Did I see that you're giving away a car? What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So we, every year I give away a Thermomix because I want people to get back into the kitchen to feed and nourish their family mm -hmm. to heal this nation. And I just, I've been doing it for years and everybody expects it, so we just thought we would take it up a notch. And I drive an electric hybrid car. So I thought, well, why don't we give away a car? So that was what the team came up with and we just went, let's do it. And so we're giving away a Toyota Corolla hybrid. I get to drive it. I've been driving it like a demo. I haven't been driving the one that people will get. They'll get a brand new one. But I've been driving the demo around and it's, it's an amazing car. Oh. So I had a Prius before the one I've got now. Um, and it, they just get better and better and better. And so I don't know. We thought we'd give away a car. So if you spend in the shop in July and August $150, that's a changing habit shop, mm -hmm. um, you'll get into the draw. And it's not like one of those things where you've got 10,000 tickets to sell. It's not like that. It's just the people who buy $150 in the shop. And when you can think about it, that's not a lot of people. Yeah, it's yeah. like your chances of winning are greater than going into the drawer you know, where there's thousands of tickets sold. We don't do that. So, yeah, um, oh, it's excellent. worthwhile. Well, I <laughs> actually sent an email to one of my staff this morning just saying, hey, can you do another order with Changing Habits for me? So, <laughs> perfect. Uh, but how very Oprah of you, Sydney. Um, the other thing that I would love an update on is, Sydney, uh, one of the things I love about you is that you are such a fierce campaigner in your community for change. And one of the things that you've been campaigning about is to get rid of um, the use of Roundup by the council on the Sunshine Coast. How is that going? Actually, really well. Um, the Sunshine Coast have not announced that they have stopping using Roundup, mm -hmm. um, but they've told me because I annoy them all the time. But they're <laughs> doing a trial with a New South Wales developed uh, herbicide um, that is not based on um, chemical or biochemical warfare, mm -hmm. but rather on contact. So salt water on contact will kill a weed. Vinegar on contact will kill a weed. It's not it doesn't destroy one of its biochemical processes. It just 
you know, kills the weed. So they are trialling it. They're, um, they're very hopeful that it's going to work. But mm. they're funny. They're not telling the people that that's what they're doing. And, you know, you hear like Tampa, Florida and California and other places say we're stopping using it. But I think they, they want to really make sure that they're doing the right thing. I think they're scared. They realise how good Roundup is, even though it's dangerous, um, and I think they're a little bit scared. So I'm waiting for the day they say uh, the Sunshine Coast will no longer use Roundup. So, yeah, yeah. But we're there. We are actually there um, because I speak to the head of parks um, and I speak to the guy that's in control of all of it and that's what they've told me. Oh, that is awesome. And I love that. Four years though, Andrea, four <laughs> years. <laughs> so worth it though. Um, oh, yeah. my, my dog, um, so I've got a German Shepherd Husky Cross who's literally the love of my life. Um, and he, a couple of years ago, was diagnosed with B-cell lymphoma. And this is like the healthiest dog that you've ever seen. And the only thing that we could possibly attest it to would be the fact that um, the parks that we take him to are all sprayed. Um, so yeah. that's certainly something that we're trying to campaign for here and I'm so glad that you have made such good progress. That gives me more motivation to step up even more. All right. Um, Do you know, I just have to tell you about animals. So um, I had a cat for 17 years and we lived in the same street for most of its life. Mm-hmm. And then we moved one block away and um he just he started to meow a lot more and eventually he fell off a bed he just fell off my daughter's bed which is a low bed thank goodness and we took him to the vet and he was diagnosed with lymphoma my uh, and he he wanders like he goes next door there's two dogs and he likes to tease the dogs next door and i noticed that he'll wander around five houses around us and i i've not asked my neighbors but i wonder if because he, he was perfectly healthy. He eats raw food, never yeah, been exactly. to a vet in his life, nothing. And we had to put him down um, Good Friday. So that oh, was a sad yeah, day. Yeah. But I took him to the farm. I always wanted to take him to the farm and I took him to the farm and I planted a tree on top of him. And so I visited him, you know, I visited him every weekend. So it's, it's oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, isn't that yeah. so interesting? And there's such a um, high rate of cancers happening in dogs and cats now. Yeah. I think that's a podcast all unto itself. Um, so <laughs> let's definitely talk about that another time. But today, Cindy, what I want to talk to you about is how the food industry is changing. And there's so many smoke and mirrors um, and in particular, what I want to hear from you is what is going on with food additives? So I know that they're changing names with things like that and they're presenting things that are quote unquote health foods, but they're coming from all sorts of different um, pretty like terrible sources as well. So let's get into that. Yeah. Okay. So... The food industry realised that we were becoming savvy consumers and that we didn't want to have food numbers and food dyes and food artificial flavourings and mm-hmm. preservatives in our food. And so they started this campaign called Clean Labelling. And Clean Labelling is merely that you look at the label and it looks clean but the food is no different and the additives are no different. So instead of um, something like BHA and BHT, which is numbers 320 and 321, Mm -hmm. which is an antioxidant made by in a chemical laboratory and um, has been known to cause cancer in rats, they renamed it to rosemary extract. Ah. 
oh, oh my God. Yeah. So everybody looks at it and they go, rosemary, that's fine. So I have looked up Peyton on rosemary extract and they extract one compound out of the uh, rosemary that is, has an antioxidant um, property, a high antioxidant property, but that's only 5% of the compound is that, um, and I can't remember the name, it starts with C, um, I can't remember the name, a lot of the chemicals, but um, this one starts with C and it's only 5% of what the manufacturer who's producing the food will get. So I rang um, a meat producer who said that his, his cured meats were natural. Mm-hmm. And what you and he was so proud of it. Like, I didn't say anything to him. I just said, "Look, could you explain to me these new foods that you're, you've got in there?" So, what's rosemary extract? He said, "Oh, that's the natural antioxidant." And then I said, "What's celery powder? Oh, that's the natural preservative." And then I asked him another question. He said, "Oh, that's the natural nitrate." And they actually are, are being lied to. So these innocent bystanders that are thinking they're producing a cured meat with natural products because that's what the chemical companies are telling them, uh, believing in the chemical companies, believing that they are doing the right thing by them and trusting them. Because on the spec sheet even, it's not giving you everything. They're very, they're very conniving. They're very clever. They have figured out how to make something look like food, taste like food um, and smell like food but not be a food. That, that's how good they are. And they're getting better at it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like that the thing terrifying. And I feel so sorry for this poor butcher who is probably, you know, stamping his claim that he's doing the best things by having naturally cured meats but is completely unaware that all of those things are just um, a rebranded version of, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, it's smoke screens. And exactly. It's like, it's, it's like, and it's, and you may see, like, if anybody's listening to this and they're in their house and they've bought some of this stuff, they may see it as spice and herb extracts mm-hmm. or vegetable extracts. So, an extract, and, and the way I find my information, and it's the only way, like, you, it's really hard to, to find it any other way. But the way I find it is that I go to patents. So, mm-hmm. that's P A T E N T. So, patents, they're worldwide. And if you want to produce something and make money from it and it's a new way of extracting or it's a new way of doing something, mm-hmm. then you put a patent on it so nobody else can do it unless you get paid for it. So, of, of course, you know, there's thousands, millions of, of patents out there and all you have to do is go rosemary extract patent and look at the way they're extracting that one chemical from the beautiful rosemary leaf and bark because mm-hmm. that's what it is. It's the rosemary leaf and the bark that they do. And, you know, you can do it with, like, even beta carotene is used for colour. That's mm-hmm. chemically made. It's not, it's not you know, uh, a beta carotene, which is, the, you know, the precursor to vitamin A. It's nothing to do with that. Mm. So I think um, we have to really, really consider what they're doing and how they're conniving and, and how they are changing what the back looks like in the ingredients. And we get fooled. We get completely fooled. Look, even natural flavour. Do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, yeah. Cindy, <laughs> tell me more about that. <laughs> okay. So I she's get getting all serious up. now. She's, uh, she's taken her, yeah, take the taking her blazer off. off. <laughs> even though it's winter. But um, <laughs> So um, I first read about natural flavouring 
and artificial flavoring and the flavor industry. When I listened to a gentleman by the name of Eric Schlozer, he wrote the book Fast New Food Nation. And I, but this was back in, has to be 10 years ago, maybe longer when he put that book out. And I read about the flavor industry and he, he said it's so hard to get the information out of the flavor industry. But he did, and he was an investigative journalist, and he figured it out. And what he puts in his book is strawberry flavoring. And he basically puts all the ingredients in there, which is 48 chemicals, mm-hmm. to strawberry flavoring. And he said the only difference between artificial and natural is that the artificial, everything, every ingredient, every chemical in there is made artificially. It's made in a laboratory. How they figured out that 48 chemicals is strawberry flavoring, I'll never know. If it's natural, so the first four ingredients in strawberry flavoring are like amyl butyrate or amyl um, acetate or amyl, something like that. So what they are is that it could be a pear, that they've figured out the aroma of the pear that will make you think it smells like pear. The second ingredient might be the chemical, the ingredient that's taken out of the apple that makes you realize it's apple. So it's one chemical pulled out of a pear or an apple or a banana. So when you look at strawberry flavoring and you look at all of them, I've looked them up and one's pear, one's apple, one's banana, I think. And then as you come further down, there's a, uh, a ketone, which is a raspberry ketone. Mm-hmm. There is no strawberry in natural strawberry flavoring. The only reason, the only difference is that the amyl butyrate has only been um, chem- extracted from the natural food as opposed to just being made chemically. That's the difference between natural. All the ingredients are the same. There's solvents, diactyls. Um, there's neroli oil in it, which I guess I don't mind that one, but <laughs> that's probably very, very far down the list. And so it was. Um, do you know what the like the physical presentation or potential complications would be if someone's consuming that on a regular basis? You know what we don't know, mm. and and a reason why we don't know is that what the food industry does to test something that's called grass, generally regarded as safe. So what the food industry does is grass, if that's what it's called, is that they will test it on a mouse or a rat. So it's even if you're a vegan and you're eating strawberry flavoring, you're you're still decimating the animals. But what ends up happening is that that one chemical is tested on the mouse to its saturation point. Mm-hmm. And then they'll bring it back and they'll do it by weight. So it's one ingredient, one chemical tested on a mouse to see what the safe point is, the grass point. They never test 50 chemicals. They don't even test two chemicals. So what they do is there's 50 chemicals that are all regarded as as safe, you know, grass, and then what they do is they just combine them all, but we don't know, know what the ramifications are. And when you look at, let's say, barbecue sauce, tomato sauce and maybe another sauce that's got a a Worcestershire sauce or another tomato-based sauce, Mm -hmm. when you look at it, the only only ingredient that's different is the flavouring. So it's all got the tomatoes, it's all got the thickness, it's all got the acidity regulators, it's all got the colours. The colour might be different too. One might be red and one might be brown. Then the the final ingredient is the flavour. So it could be tomato sauce flavour, it could be barbecue sauce flavour, it could be, um, you know, pasta sauce flavour. So when you look at, when you really look at it, 
It's all the same except the flavour is different. So all they're doing is making up this big vat of something and then they separate it, add colour and flavour to that one and colour and flavour to that one. It's not about the spices and the herbs and the, the stunning things that we actually do, how we do make food. Um, and it's, it's, it's fraught with danger. I, like I won't, anything with a flavour in it, a natural flavour. It, it's interesting, I went to um, the food industry one of their biggest expos in the US, um, and they have this big gala on the Friday, I think it is, and it's all the, the food chemicals, so colours, acidity regulators, mm-hmm. flavours. And what's really amazing is that um, vanilla, one person will be selling just vanilla. So there's a big market for this vanilla, and this is not true vanilla, this is... Little in a little jar of vanilla flavoring, and it's it can be called vanillin. So, watch out for that. You'll see vanillin instead of vanilla. So, vanillin, vanillin means it's chemically made, and that's vanilla so flavor means it's chemically made. Because you know, you know I'm thinking of uh, really busy mums who might just quickly pick up something and they're a lot more savvy than maybe the average person, and they'll have a look at the ingredients, and the wording is similar enough that they will skip over it. Oh, and I think that you're giving us a really um, scary look behind the curtain as to what the food industry is really like at the moment. Cindy, can we talk about um, the meat substitute um, that is becoming really popular now? So I've heard that they're making, they're trying to make meat in a lab. So it it is meat, but it's made in a lab. But there's also, uh, you know, essentially vegan products that are supposed to be like, they call it bacon, so it might be bacon, but it's not real bacon or, or whatever it might be. Um, this is becoming so popular. And when I see my patient's food diaries, I'm seeing these sorts of things written all over it, not necessarily the meat that's made in a lab. I don't know if that's actually available yet, but um, all sorts of different versions of meat products. Um, What's your, what's your thoughts on that? <laughs> oh, well, so when I was a vegetarian, which was, and I was one for 16 years, mm-hmm. uh, the only thing that was available to us was TVP, textured vegetable protein. Mm-hmm. But, and it came in a tin and it, I looked at it and I went, I won't be eating that, you know. So when I was a vegetarian, I made lentil burgers and, you know, chickpea burgers and hummus and I did um, curries from legumes. So, like, that was the way I did vegetarianism. I still ate eggs. I still ate dairy. I had no issues with those. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, to become a, um, everyone wants to be a vegan. They all think it's going to save the planet. But I've got a farm and if I do not have animals on that farm, I can't fertilise my land. Mm-hmm. Um, unless I mulch all the time, which I'm, I can do, I can use the petrochemical industry and mulch with my tractor, or I can mulch with my cows and my chickens. So what I do is my cows are bunched and they um, eat the grass. And then when they've eaten the grass to a certain point, we move them. We mm-hmm. we've have them under electric wire. Um, they have a beautiful life on my farm. And then the chickens come in behind three days later and they scrape the poo pick out all the parasites and the worms, and then seven weeks later they come back to that, that land. And my land, when you look at it, is incredible. Mm. So the whole vegan movement is about 
saving the animals and saving the planet. We cannot save the planet without animals. We need them. We must have them. So there goes that um, idea. Mm -hmm. And if we have a look at um, humans, there has never been a vegan civilization. Yes, vegetarian, but they lived on the equator. They had lots of sunlight. They were able to survive. But for the people who live in you know, other hinterland areas like 14,000 feet above sea level where there's no grass and no plants, they have to rely on animals. And if they live in the deserts, they have to rely on animals. So this whole vegan movement is about saving the planet and saving the animals. And some very clever people have figured out how to make meat without using an animal. So they use plants. Well, they call it plant-based. But when you look at the ingredients, it, it's not plant-based. Like it's soya protein isolate. Now, mm. soya bean is very different to soya protein isolate. But in the middle of all of those ingredients, there's a patented ingredient called legohemoglobulin. Mm -hmm. And it's based on soya. So soya legohemoglobulin. So this hemoglobulin is usually found on the roots of the soybean. Now, or soybean plant. Now we don't eat the soybean plant, we eat soya. But because it's got the heme, it has this ability to allow um, a food to taste um, like it's got blood in it and it's got that, that mm -hmm. colouring. So it's got the heme, it's got the iron in there. But we, do, we can't make enough of it. So the very clever food industry has figured out that if they genetically modify a microorganism, that it will produce the soya legohemoglobin. So the substrate is the soya, so what it feeds on, and it will produce this legohemoglobulin. So that's the basis of it. And then from there, depending on whether you want bison or chicken or beef or um, lamb or whatever the meat tastes that you want, then that's when the trickery comes in. I think the trickery is with the legohemoglobulin. Like it tastes like nothing. But in order for it to taste like one of those meats, they have to add more and more chemicals. Yeah. So if people doubt me, just go and read the patent on legohemoglobulin and look at the chemicals that they add to it. It's just extraordinary um, what they add to it. Um, and I don't have any of them in front of me, but you look at it and it just reads like a chemical laboratory. So they say that they can add up to 100 chemicals in order to change the taste to how you want it to be um, in order for it to taste like meat. And then they add flavor and um, another colour and then they might add, uh, you know, they add dextrose and they add all. It, there's nothing real about these uh, plant-based meats. But, you know, what if you go and make yourself a lentil burger? I don't have a problem with that. But I don't, I don't get if you want to be a vegan why you've got to continue to eat something that tastes like meat. If you want the real thing, eat the real thing. If you, if you want to be a vegan, you want to save the planet, then you're going to have to think of um, what else is happening out there. And there's a really good new book out, out of Australia by the gourmet farmer and can't remember the name of it. But he talks about in monocultures how many animals are killed as a result of a monoculture. So I, I believe that, like, I understand the movement because I was vegetarian for mm -hmm. animal rights um, and I get that. But the wiser I get, the more foolish I seemed. And I realised that, 
my health suffered after 16 years and I either saved my brain and my body or I saved the animals and I probably wouldn't be here now. I really, you know, like I, I really don't mm-hmm. think the way my health was going. So that's the meat side of it. Um, and that is, I think it's Impossible Burger that's found that patent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either that one or the other one. I, um, there's two of them in the US. So it's not here in Australia at the moment, but it, it'll come. It'll, you know, it'll come. And there's still, like, even if it's not here yet, if you go to any supermarket, um, the vegan section now is getting bigger and bigger um, with just all sorts of different varieties of processed synthetic um, foods that are supposed to taste like meat, which I, I don't really understand that either. Um, if you want to be vegetarian while you're still looking for that taste, but maybe it's to help them be more social. If they're going to a barbecue, they can take their own you know, sausages or, or whatever it might be. And Cindy, um, Ashley and I both have a, a very similar story to yours as well. We were both be, um, vegetarian for a long time. I was vegetarian for about 12 years and then I became vegan and then I became a raw vegan and I've never been so sick in my life. And I did it well. You know, we both have, you know, advanced degrees and we knew how to balance things and, and eat the best way. But um, it was actually Damien who um, sat me down one day, put a piece of chicken on my plate and said, you're not getting up until you've eaten it. And it was literally within 24 hours that my, um, it felt like my brain had come back online. Um, like it was literally the next day I felt like a brand new person again and it was just so remarkable. And, you know, this is not a dig at vegetarian or veganism by any stretch of the imagination. I can absolutely respect and appreciate why they'd want to do that. But um, I think that we need the whole picture. And if you do look into monoculture, so like what you're referring to, if someone is just planting, say, soybeans or, or just wheat products or something like that, the amount of land clearing that they have to do, the amount of pesticide control, the amount of um, little ecosystems that get destroyed in that as well and the animals that would have been thriving in that land are all dying as it is. So there is, so animals are still being affected no matter which way we're sort of looking at it. Um, and I think that people need to dig a little bit deeper into this without just taking a blanket statement of, um, you know, accepting what's popular in the media, I guess. Um, no, I, it's all in the circle of life and that's, yeah. I'm sorry, but that's the way it's been from the beginning of time. You go to the savannas, you go to, the, to Africa and mm-hmm. like I've watched an animal kill another. If they don't, they're dead. Mm-hmm. If they don't have that skill, they're gone. And humans would not have existed um, if they were vegans. We mm-hmm. would have become eventually infertile because there was no synthetic B12 back then. <laughs> It didn't exist. You know, we live in a privileged society if we believe that um, we can survive as vegans because of the B12 and other things that go, you know, go missing. Like you said, your brain was turned on. After 16 years of as a vegetarian, the first piece of meat I ate, my brain turned on. Yeah. I was like, I, my energy turned up. And, and it's, and I know that um, so, as, as Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride said to me, you cannot reason with somebody whose brain is not clicked on. Mm. So I was speaking at a conference and I had a young woman who asked me to sit beside her and she told me she had anxiety and depression and she was a vegan. And I, I just said to her, you know, if you want to save your brain, um, then the way to do it is, is to start eating different foods and not plant-based only, but you'll need to start eating some 
um, flesh <laughs> and um, she just wouldn't do it. So, you know, as Natasha Campbell McBride says, you, you, you can't reason with them. Um, and, and there are some that do it very well. Like I look at Charlotte Gerson and Charlotte and her um, father were vegans and for some reason they survived. Now, did they lived in Mexico. They lived on the equator or near the equator. They lived in a hot environment. They had a lot of sun. But when you live where we live, like, you know, you're living in Perth, I'm living on the Sunshine Coast, we're not near the equator. We don't have that sunlight that they mm. do in the equator. And sunlight is so important. And um, if people want to look this up, sunlight into the eyes as you watch the sunrise, um, sunrise on, sunlight on your skin will help the mitochondria that gives you energy. So these are the things that help you survive. But if you're mm. in Melbourne um, or in you know Canada or somewhere like that and you have everything, all the clothes on and the only bit of sun that you get is, is just on your cheeks, it's not going to work for you. And, and we've learned this. We know this, you know. It's, and it, it is about just understanding the mechanics of the body and how it works and, and where you live on the planet as to whether you can be a vegetarian or a vegan or whether you need to um, find some protein. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that vitamin D um, production and synthesis is so important for every single part of our body, but as well as our hormones and our fertility potential. Most of the women that I see categorically are all really severely vitamin D deficient. Like I look at their blood tests and it's like, how do you not have rickets? <laughs> like that's how bad it is, um, which is really scary. And I think that that is uh, because of an environmental thing, you know, we're, we're not living on the equator, but we're also not getting outdoors when we don't have those really good healthy lifestyle habits that would sort of allow for the assimilation of that too. Uh, Cindy, on the flip side of, you know, the fake, um, you know, meat and all of that sort of stuff that's coming, um, there's also the insurgents or the popularity of the carnivore diet um, and we actually recorded a podcast and released it a couple of weeks ago on the carnivore diet and we're sort of just discussing the nutrient deficiencies and that sort of thing that might occur with purely just a, a, a meat-based diet and we have just like with when we've done a podcast um, episode on, you know, veganism, we've received just as much backlash about the, vegan, the carnivore diet as opposed to the vegan diet because people, when it comes to a certain way of eating, they will plant their flag, they will, you know, it becomes as much a part of their, their personality um, and their identity as religion almost. Cindy, because you are such an expert in this field, what's your take on the carnivore diet? Mm. So with any of these diets that we're seeing today, there is a place in history for them mm. and there is a place in the human uh, lifestyle for them. Mm -hmm. So when we look at carnivore, we can look at, an extreme part on the planet where there are no plants and there's only animals mm. and that's how you survive. But they didn't live just on steak. There would have been livers, there would have been intestines, there would have been all of those things that they would have needed. So the intestines that the animals were eating the grass because we can't eat grass then would have had fermented um, foods with them. But the, the modern carnivore diet, I want to see someone who's eaten the intestine. 
yeah, on the modern yeah, carnivore exactly. diet. And and they're not, you know, they're probably eating steaks and they're eating all the good, the, the muscles, but they're not eating the internal bits, which is where I think is where we would get our nutrients. Mm. So in the gut, um, the gut has a microbiome in it that produces vitamin Bs. It also produces vitamin K. So we do know that the, the gut microbiome will do that, the same within animals. So when you're consuming the whole animal, then you're getting all those nutrients. To go on a carnivore diet for a short amount of time, I don't see a problem with it. Yeah. And yeah. the reason I don't see a problem with it is if you are having such a problem with plant foods, every plant that you eat is causing you a problem because your microbiome is being decimated by an agricultural system or by a council that sprays Roundup, which is an antibiotic, or chlorpyrifos, or what it look. There are 144 chemicals on the on the um, su- the Australian supermarket screening. 144 glyphosate is not on that. 596 glyphosate-containing products are sprayed in our environment and on our food. Yet it is not on the supermarket list. So when you consider that we are decimating the microbiome, then a carnivore diet is a time for quietening down the digestive tract. You will not be feeding those microbiomes unless you, the microbiome, unless you are eating the intestines and what's in the intestine. There's just no way. So for a short period of time, just like the vegan diet is a great clean out for mm-hmm. a short period of time, so is this other extreme for a short period of time. If we look at our natural environment, so something you said in the beginning is that my book has stood the test of time. And the reason it stood the test of time is that I look anthropologically at everything. I look at the historical perspective of the carnivore diet, the keto diet, the paleo diet, the hunter-gatherer diet, the vegan diet, the vegetarian diet. So let's look at that. This is why it stands the test of time because it bloody well makes sense. Historically look looking at how we survived for hundreds of thousands of years to this point without heart disease, cancer, diabetes, autoimmune diseases. There was childhood mortality, definitely. There was no way there was no childhood mortality. If we made it to the age of five, we would have survived to 90 and 100, healthy, fit, living the life that we needed to live. Mm-hmm. But you know, now the childhood mortality is meant to be down, although they say the US is, has the highest childhood mortality, and I'll take a guess at that, but we won't go there, mm. um, as to why we have children just suddenly dying and why they die within their first year of life. So when um, we also look at the holistic side of it, so let's take the carnivore diet. If you're not looking holistically and you're not eating the intestines and the liver and the kidneys and everything else, then you're not doing it holistically. Mm-hmm. So the, the basis of changing habits is looking historically and looking holistically or vitalistically, as the chiropractic profession would say, you know, mm-hmm. the body has an innate intelligence, give it the right ingredients, stop interfering with it and life will be good. But we don't do it that way. So that's why I say I think the carnivore diet actually has a really good state and the GAPS diet is the carnivore diet. I don't know mm-hmm. if people realise that, you know. When you start phase one of GAPS, all you're doing is eating meat and broth. That's it. Mm -hmm. There is nothing else in there. But the really good thing is that you um, can put the liver in there. You can put the kidneys in there. Um, You're getting the bones and you're you're doing all of that. So GAPS, you know, she was so far ahead of her talent. 
Natasha Campbell McBride and before her was this a specific carbohydrate diet. And it mm. was for kids that were having a real issue with their guts. Um, and, but then slowly you can introduce plant material as mm. we calm down the gut. Then we use fermentables, so fosses and gosses. Um, we use those in natural form, not in a supplement form. We use that in a, um, and we slowly bring back the microbiome. And then we can start to eat plants again. And in my way of thinking, if plants were available, if, if you saw a mango sitting there on a piece, on a, a tree, you're not going to go, oh, I'm on the carnivore diet, I'm not eating that mango. If you were out there to survive, you would eat that mango if it was there. So let's take the Katavas. So the Katavas live in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. They are um, very much high carbohydrates and high saturated fats. Mm-hmm. So they eat coconuts, mangoes, taro, sweet potato and fish. That's their diet. Let's say there is a cyclone. All the plants, the coconuts, the everything has been decimated. There's been a tidal wave or a tsunami. The only thing those guys will be able to eat are fi- is fish. Yeah. That's it. And they will have to survive on fish until those trees come back or anything like So how long will that be for? Will that be for a couple of years that they can survive on fish? They might find a few coconuts running around that haven't been decimated and then they can crack and they can eat. But basically they've lost everything. So the body can survive on this. But there will be a point when plants will come back and, and we will want to eat plants. You know, yeah. it's, just, it's just the We've we've got to look at this with common sense. So for a carnivore, I don't think a carnivore will survive 20 years, just like I don't think a vegan will survive 20 years. Mm. I think they'll have to start eating plants because that's what naturally we did. Does does that answer your question with these extreme diets? Yeah. Yeah. It's like diet, you know, like do you want to go to the ketogenic diet? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's like the ketogenic diet. Everyone's out there eating massive amounts of dairy and massive amounts of fat. And, Mm -hmm. but the ketogenic diet was, or to be in ketosis, to define the ketogenic diet, you can't because ketosis is a state that the body goes into if it's hungry. Mm -hmm. So if you have no food, and everything's been decimated, the animals have gone, but you got a little bit of fat on you, you will go into a state of ketosis. You will use the fat cells. Those fat cells will go to the liver. The liver will make BHB, which is um, beta-hydroxybutyrate. Mm-hmm. That will then go into the Krebs cycle. That will make your ATP and you will survive. Mm-hmm. The longest fast goes longer than a year. The guy was so big and so fat that he survived on his fat cell cells for more than a year. Wow. It's, it's a, it's a, it, you can go online and you can read the study. It happened in about the 70s. So you go longest fast ever, yeah. 1970s, maybe something like that, go on PubMed, yeah. read the study. The only thing they did was watch his electrolytes. That's it. They just made sure wow. his salts were fine. He probably could have drunk a little bit of salt water and he would have survived a year without food. <laughs> that is incredible because we don't think yeah. that, that, you know, our body still has fuel to burn. Um, you know, yeah. most of us is probably, you know, can go a little while of fasting. Uh, and 
it's just, I think it just plays back into that fad again, right? You know, the ketogenic diet, the carnivore diet, they are, they really are fads. And uh, we would have been in different states of ketosis or we would have, um, you know, consumed only meat-based diet for certain parts of history. Um, you know, if we were still hunter-gathering, which would, be, would have been completely appropriate seasonally. Um, but, you know, fortunately we don't have to do that anymore. And, but we also, um, live so differently to that as well. Oh, yes. Cindy, so interesting. So when you see the ketogenic diet out there and there's massive amounts of fat and protein and there's no plant matter, um, and they never go out of ketosis, like a, a female in ketosis mm. will become infertile. Yeah, exactly. Especially when she uses up all her fat cells because yeah. then there's no leptin. Leptin is produced by our fat cells. It's the master hormone. It tells the brain how much fuel is in this body. So mm-hmm. we, if, to survive on sugar, we would last three days. To survive on fat, it depends on how much fat stores you've got. Like if you've got a year's supply, go for it. You can last yeah. a year without eating, you know. But if you're normal, you'll have about usually in the summer if you're eating mangoes and papaya and nectarines and apricots and all of those beautiful fruits, you'll put on weight probably around five kilos. Then when the winter comes, all you're left with is apples, oranges and pears, you know, basically citrus and pears. And they're not as sweet as those and there would be less food available to Mm -hmm. you. And depending on the region you lived in, um, and you would go into that ketosis, burn up those fat cells. And if you look at the rhythm of life, you realise that we went through summers and winters and summers and winters on a yearly basis, cleaning Mm. out the fat cells. If there'd been a volcano that erupted, a whole bunch of heavy metals we would have been exposed to, body couldn't deal with it at that stage, tucked it in the fat cells. Mm. Winter came, get rid of the fat cells, get rid of the heavy metals, all the toxins or whatever, gases that were there. And and that's the way it was. We're just, we're not thinking, we're not, having a common thought, a common sense thought. And when you commonly think common sense thoughts, which is not so common anymore because we are marketing and advertising and extremes um, stop that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. interest. Like the carnival diet, jeez. Like I look at it and I want to see how long it survives. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think it'll be faddish. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Cindy, that sort of uh, then segues me into, I want, can you explain to our audience about your Nutrition Academy course? Um, Sure. (laughs) So exactly what my book is based on is two philosophies. Mm -hmm. Looking at an historical perspective of how we survived, how we ate, how we lived, our lifestyle, what the sun meant to us, what the moon meant to us, what sleep meant to us what foods we consumed. So that's the historical perspective. And then looking at the vitalistic approach, looking at the whole body, the whole food, not looking at butter for its saturated fat, but looking at that it's got omega-3s and it's got butyric acid and it's got all these other amazing fats. So looking at everything holistically. So those two philosophies is what the whole course is based on. So I remember when we were writing the course, um, So I had Dr. Stephen Myers, who is now at the University of Tasmania, and he's got a PhD in biomedical science. Mm -hmm. And he was the best person to sit next to to write this course because we would listen to each other all the time. Like he'd listen to me on the phone. He goes, Cindy, do you you know why that is so? And I'd go, no, why? And then 
we, I'd say, but there must be an evolutionary reason for that, Steve. There has to be. And so he'd go home and he'd research it and he'd go, oh, my gosh, there's 10,000 articles on the evolutionary reason why saturated fat causes insulin resistance. And we just went, wow, you know. And so then we wrote, you know, the whole module on why does saturated fat cause insulin resistance and the importance of it at mm-hmm. certain stages in our life, you know. So, um, so you know, this, is, this was really, really the way we put the course together. So the course is based on those two overarching principles and everything from cholesterol to salt to sugar to diets, different diets diets are out there so I can look at the carnivore diet and hear all about it without even really understanding it but still with my philosophy know it so Mm -hmm. the course is um, there's an introduction to nutrition I had a nutrition student who was doing their eight week um, placement with me so they'd done three years of bachelor of science majoring in nutrition Mm -hmm. she comes to me for eight weeks I give her my intro not the 12 month course my intro which I think is so basic and so I always think oh Surely people know this stuff. That's how I feel. That's why it's called intro. And I always say to people, oh, no, don't do intro. You'll know that stuff. Anyway, three years, Bachelor of Science, majoring in nutrition. I get her to do the intro when she starts with me. She said, oh, my gosh, I never learned any of this. Yeah, isn't that terrifying? (laughs) It is terrifying. Yeah. You never learned any of this? You know, and so, you know, like she had a lot of knowledge. Yeah. But she did not have what we are teaching. And I've had two dietitians do this course who have both said, I didn't need to go to university. I just needed to do this course. Um, And one had a PhD in cancer research. She said, you've just brought everything together for me, Cindy, for the very first time. The other one was a dietitian for like, she's been one for 15 years. She did the course um, and she just said, thank you. I now get it. It now makes sense. I now I'm no longer chasing my tail. Um, I've had medical doctors do it chiropractors um and then i have lay people do it also who haven't studied in 20 years and we ease you into it we hold your hand we help you for those people who need it Mm. it's assessment based but the assessment is not pass fail the assessment wants to know that you have read the information you understand it and you're able to teach that information because what i want people to do is to finish this course and go out and change their family, themselves, and their community. Go out and educate people on this. Go out and help chiropractors who do not have the time because they're adjusting to help them do the six-week, you know, nutrition program um, Mm -hmm. that helps mums go, well, I don't have time to do 12 months, but can you tell me how to clean my pantry out and can you tell me what this ingredient mean and Mm -hmm. can you tell me um, how to put a meal plan together? Like it's... This is the problem. They think it's breakfast cereals. They think it's, you know, chuck shop. And then yeah. they think it's pasta for dinner. So all what happens at the end of the year is that the confidence that my, my graduates get is, oh, my goodness, I know this stuff. And in the meantime, they've been practising. They're cleaning out their cupboards. They're cleaning out their fridge and their pantry. They're figuring out who do they buy their meat from? Who do mm-hmm. they buy their dairy from? Where do I get my fruits and vegetables? What community-supported agriculture is out there that I can support my local economy with local foods? But there's a lot of science behind it because, mm. and the reason I put the science there is that I want people to realise that when somebody comes up to them and says, oh, you've done nothing, you haven't got a degree, you know, like just 
it, it just annoys me. Yeah. That they can go back and they, they can say, well, let's pit your science against my science yeah. and let's see who was funding your science and let's see where that really happened and how did the dietary guidelines. So we talk about the dietary guidelines. What's the history of them? The history is fascinating. The history is all about the food industry. It has nothing to do with the science. You know? oh, absolutely. So, yeah. I just, want, I just want people to, number one, educate themselves for themselves. Mm-hmm. Number two, if they want to take it further, I'm there for them. So every year we get a day where we discuss how you can unlock all of your information and go out and create a business and change a community. And there's many ways to do that. Don't think it's just, oh, I've got to get up there and speak. No, it could be one-on-one. It could be blogging. It could be cleaning up people's pantries. Mm-hmm. It could be going into the tuck shop. It could be seeing your local chiropractor and saying, hey, I've done you know, the Nutrition Academy's course. I'd love to help you with your clients if you mm-hmm. need to send it, anybody to me. Or I don't prescribe diets. What I do is I teach people how to eat again. That's yeah. it. That's you know, awesome. prescribing of diets. I'm not going to prescribe the carnival, the vegan, the keto, the this. I want to teach you about real food. So I want to teach you what the food industry is doing and their trickery. So we've discussed some of it today. And, and you know, we can, I, I teach people about the organic food industry. And you think if it says organic, it's fine. Flip mm. the ingredients over. They've got a loophole too. Yeah. They have a loophole. Yeah. They're putting flavors, natural flavors. They're putting GMO products in there because they've got a 5% loophole. I have just find it huh, exhausting, absolutely exhausting. But I'm there, I'm teaching, and this is what I teach everybody. When I know, I only found out about legohemoglobulin. Globulin. Mm, I read the ingredients of the Impossible Meat probably four months, three months ago maybe, mm-hmm. and I went, What's legohemoglobulin? You know, so that's the question I ask myself and I go, right, patent, and then I read it and I go, oh, my gosh, this is just unbelievable. This is incredible that they allow this. But they're proud of it. They're proud that they've figured this out. And you have to go, well, am I going to go with their pride or am I going to go with my common sense and am I going to feed my family the right foods? Mm-hmm. Um, so we do the, the one day where we unpack it and then we have graduation every year on the Sunshine Coast. Then we have a summit. So this year our summit included Dr. Charles Massey. So we were about agriculture as well. So we mm-hmm. had Dr. Charles Massey talking on the plight of agriculture. And then we had Dr. Cheryl Salmon talking about hormones. Yeah, uh, we had Alex Stewart talking on low-tox life, you know, mm-hmm. getting, getting the toxicity out of your life. And then we had um, Peter Stapleton, Dr. T- Peter Stapleton, talking about emotional issues with health because mm-hmm. it's, sometimes it's not all about food, yeah. you know. You know, and you being a chiropractor knows it's about structure, about the nervous system. Mm -hmm. Because if the nervous system isn't working to the stomach, then the acid's not going to be produced Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to do the things that you need to do. So I never look at it as one thing. I look at it holistically, but I teach nutrition. But I then say, but then let's look at everything and and give them little snippets. And that's what we do at the Nutrition Summit. And then the the last day of, of the whole the nutrition summit the last day is we go to the farm and we look at how we farm with holistic grazing with um with our chickens and our cows with um our permaculture garden with our trees um with our management of pests with our management of weeds we don't call them weeds we call them primaries they're merely there to fix a problem that's on our land Mm -hmm. so 
Yeah. Oh, Cindy, that sounds amazing. Next time I'm on the sunny coast, I'm definitely going to pop in and I want to see the farm too. So uh, you don't have to be an investigative journalist to learn this information. I would absolutely recommend um, looking at Cindy's book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives. is a very like amazing starting point. Have a look at their Nutrition Academy course as well because it is so sound. And I um, know some of the students who've gone through that personally and the information that they come out with is incredible and I would be so comfortable having any of them or any of the Nutrition Academy graduates, um, you know, oversee my patients and help them with their, their food and nutrition. I think that that's amazing. Mm. Cindy, where can our listeners find out more about you? Well, they can go to changinghabits.com.au, but I'm sure you've got a link that um, you'll be putting up for everybody in the show notes. Yeah, we've got an affiliate link. If, ladies, if you do want to check out the Nutrition Academy course and find out more, we will put a link in the show notes and on social media for you as well. I don't think I have it yet. I think your team is putting it together for us, but we'll, we'll pop it up there anyway. Um, yes. So uh, Changing Habits is such an amazing resource though. The website has got the most beautiful recipes. Um, so ladies, do yourself a favour and go check those out. Um, we use those all the time and uh, obviously the store has access to amazing things that you can't find um, yeah. most likely at your local supermarket. And, you know, it's about teaching people, you know, because we can't have everything in the store. But it's about teaching people how to read behind the marketing and the speak mm. and the lies. It's about doing that. And, and we do that research. We teach you, but then you can research also. So that, that's what I love about it. it. It makes you a very powerful consumer. And for Absolutely. me, a powerful consumer changes the world. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that that is a beautiful note for us to finish up on. Um, so, ladies, make sure you go and check out Cindy um, and have a look at Changing Habits as well. Ladies, you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. I'm Dr. Andrea Huddleston, usually with Dr. Ashley Bond as well. We are the Wellness Women. We are raising the bar on women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.